Welcome to our first of three messages on Christians and politics. Um, some people think that that's foolish to even approach that from uh, the pulpit, but I know that there are people you're hit every single day with, here's the moral decision, here's what you should do. Um, so I think that as your pastor, not as your pope, I don't endorse candidates. But I do preach the Bible. In fact, if I am a preacher, I have to preach the Bible. If I don't preach the Bible, then I'm less than what God called me to be and less than what you deserve as a church. Um, We're going to look today at a theme that runs from the Old Testament all the way to the New, and it's how we're supposed to care for the poor. How we're supposed to care for the poor. What does the Bible say is the connection with Christians caring for the poor? And what role does government have in that? Next week we're going to look at the topic of homosexuality. And we're going to address it from this standpoint. What does the Bible say about it? And then how do we communicate in 21st century politically correct America to people who may be in the homosexual lifestyle or people who may see nothing wrong with it at all? Because often when we Christians talk about things like that, we don't know how to talk about it. We immediately turn people off by certain phrases that we should not use, by certain terminology that we should not use. And sometimes we can turn people off unnecessarily by our demeanor. We're going to look next week at a biblical apologetic about homosexuality. And finally, uh, we're going to look at the following week what the Bible has to say about the sanctity of life and abortion. But I thought first things first, um, if you're going to do anything, um, you need to do it well. So I know that I am in a swing state and I'm going to talk about things that intersect with the political issues. So I brought my genuine issue uh, NATO helmet. I'm not sure if this is rated up to 223, but we've got this here in case things start being thrown. And also... Just to be on the safe side, we brought the 300 Spartan Shield as well. All right? And uh, I talked about this with the deacons, our last deacons meeting. And I uh, said, so, you know, I got a very wise input from all the guys that said, I don't know how this is going to go over. We're just going to preach truth. And, you know, I asked Roy if he had an old Kevlar vest that I may be able to borrow for this. And then, you know, we talked about bullets flying and so forth. And then and then Jack Stricker said, you know what, I'll come and stand beside you. Man, I love, by the way, let's just give the Lord, this may be awkward for you. I don't know if this has ever happened in a Baptist church before. Um, you guys heard the old joke about the uh, pastor putting shockers on all the pews in case people fell asleep. Have y'all heard that? Like he had a little dial board on the pulpit and if you fell asleep, he'd be able to jolt you. And the old joke goes, and this is so sad and often it's so typical, um, that the row that the deacon sat on, he accidentally electrocuted him. Well, whoops it is, but I just want to give the Lord, let's just, if this is, we're not praising men, we're praising what the Lord is doing through them. I love our deacons, I love serving with them. Uh, most of you, you know them. Let's just give the Lord um, praise this morning for His grace in their life, their leadership. I love you guys. Man, I, I'm just, I'm so, I'm so excited to serve with you. And if you could have been there, I had so much wise advice on all sorts of, of biblical issues that are meeting this past week, but... Um, if you have your Bibles, and if you don't have one, there should be one there on the pew. If you don't have a Bible at all, that's our gift to you. Uh, go with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and then Romans. And we're going to look at this subject this morning, Christians in the care of the poor. The main idea from Romans chapter 13, here's kind of the the main idea of this passage of Scripture, is that the role of government is to punish those who do evil and reward those who do good. So let's read Romans chapter 13 beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Cops, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do, what you going to do when they come for you? That's biblical. Notice what it says. But if you do wrong, talk with me. Be what? Be afraid. If you're a law enforcement person here, you have biblical justification to say, when I go after the bad guys, they should be afraid. Because if you're a law enforcement person, you are a minister of God to do justice. Check this out. It goes further. Be afraid for he, speaking of the government, does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are, check this, ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed. I have to say an amen with gritted teeth on that one, don't we? Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. John Feinberg says this, and it's in your notes. He says, For the Christian committed to the inspiration and the inerrancy of the Bible, which means the Bible comes from God, and since it comes from God, it comes error-free. God is the starting point for everything else we think and do. Asterisk, even political decisions. Chuck Colson said this, Culture is most profoundly changed not by efforts of huge institutions, a.k.a. government, but by individual people. Now, there's a few dumb things that we need to address right off the top that many of us are told. Some people will say, don't let your religion influence your political choices. Now, number one, we as Christians don't have religion like a ladder to get up to God, do we? Christianity is not a ladder to get to God. Christianity is God coming down to us. 
But often when people say you need to keep your faith out of politics, you need to keep religion out of government, what they're really saying is that your Jesus, who you learn about and say that you trust from the Bible, is worth so little that He should affect none of your real decisions. Catch that. When they say keep Jesus out of your political decisions, what they're saying is that Jesus has His place and it's here from 11 to 12 to 12.15 if we really get fired up 12.30. But Jesus shouldn't actually influence how you live your life. Be honest with you, if that's all that Jesus is good for, a Sunday morning hula, or just to you know get together and have a good time, then honestly, let's just stop right now and go to the lake. Amen? Like, if that, like seriously, why would you waste an hour a week for something that doesn't mean anything anyway? If Jesus does not affect how I use my money personally, just Jeff, what He gets, then why does Jesus matter at all? If Jesus doesn't affect what I do with my time, why should I give Jesus any affection, any devotion? If Jesus does not affect how I view people, then Jesus really is not worth five minutes. That's a lie, and it's wrong, and sometimes people, you know what, we, we, we say dumb things. Amen, right? Like we, we do, not the amen is good, but we just do. And we, we may have heard something from somebody, even some that we, someone that we respect, but they heard it and they simply repeat what they heard without actually thinking through it. And so when someone says, you know, you're a Christian, you shouldn't make political decisions based upon your Christianity, say, okay, well, well, when I read God's Word, He tells me to love my neighbor as myself. So does that mean I'm not supposed to have that calculate into how I make political decisions? Jesus tells me that God is love. So therefore, I want to promote a policy of love and of fairness. I want to promote what the Bible says, that if people commit a crime, we don't just let them walk free. There has to be some way of restoring that person. That comes from my Christianity. And there's going to be very few people, if any, when they really understand what Christianity is about, who's going to say, we don't need more of that. Amen? Number one, Romans 13, government is instituted by God. In John chapter 19 and verse 11, this is where Jesus is on trial before Pontius Pilate. He's there and Pilate tells Jesus in a sense, he says, why will you not speak to me? He says in verse number 10 of John chapter 19, he says, do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered to him, I love this. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. That means that every Government is in some sense from God. And I'll explain the asterisk in just a moment. You say, Jeff, what is the purpose of government? Go with me to verses 1 and 2. We see that the role is for the government to punish those who do evil and to reward those who do good. That is the role of government. It is the role of justice. And notice there in verse 4 when it refers to the government carrying the sword. That refers to capital punishment. Some people say, can Christians ever support capital punishment? Yes, Jesus died because He believed in justice. Let that sink in. Jesus died. Jesus died because He took our sentence upon Himself. If God did not believe in justice, there would not really be a God worthy of worship. Because if God didn't believe in justice, He would be basically saying, you know what? Don't worry about it. 
White lie, no big deal. When you cheat at work, cheat on your taxes, no biggie. Um, and then we get into the, the other things. Well, you just cheated on your wife one time. You didn't do it a bunch of times. Or you cheated on her. And then, they, you know, you just guys are more compatible anyway. And then eventually when it's all said and done, we have a God that gives excuses to every single sin that tears us up and destroys families and makes the world a living hell. And there is no God that like that that is worthy of worship. God is a God of justice, and He has put government here to punish those who do evil. In verses 5-7, through we also see that Christians should obey the law as long as, here's our asterisk, as long as it conforms to God's law. Notice what it says there in verse number uh, 6. It says, For because of this very thing you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God. Remember Jesus says that render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's? Guess what is not Caesar's? Your freedom of speech. Whenever the government comes and begins to say, here's what you can say, here's what you cannot say, you can talk about Jesus, how He's a good friend, but you can't say that Jesus is the only way, that's the point to where we t- say no to Caesar. An aspect of the Declaration of Independence that speaks about when government becomes destructive to the ends that it's designed for, which is to allow persons to be free to live by the law, when the government begins to impose a law that's not really a law, that's when Christians have biblical right to respectfully say, no, sir. And be very clear. The Bible here is not saying that Christians obey the government at all times if the government decree is wrong. It means that we obey the government and we give the government what they are due, which is, in our case, patriotism to protect and defend the United States. But if the United States ever comes to the point where they begin to tell us we cannot preach the gospel, they begin to try to persecute Christians, that's when we stand up to the government. That is the place for Christian disobedience under the law. Then we come to the question, well, we know that government is from God, but how does this actually translate into care for the poor? We read there in verse number 8 that we should owe no one anything except to love one another. We should, as it says, the law is summarized in this one statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So how do we actually love our neighbor as ourself? We know in the political realm there are basically two opposing ideas. One idea says that we should take from the ones who are more economically productive and we should give to the ones who are poor, and in doing that, we will alleviate poverty. The other end says, no, it is a person's own bread that they bring home, and in order to um, eradicate poverty, it's not taking from one group and giving to another group, it's helping the group who doesn't have to be able to be educated, hardworking, and earn it themselves. Let me give you a text, and this is in your notes, the Old Testament, a verse that often does not get read, and if you are a conservative, I want you to listen. We're going to be an equal opportunity offender here this morning. Y'all hear that? You're a Democrat, Republican, Independent. This is a heart issue. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 11, 7 through 11. The Bible says, I'm going to read it straight through. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor, if any of your towns, in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not 
harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be any unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, which is a time to where they didn't have to pay back debts and so forth. And your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this, man, this is cool, for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Is that not the truth? thousand years plus before Jesus came to the earth and now here we are 2,000 later after the we still have the poor and it finishes in verse number 11 for there will never cease to be poor in the land therefore because of that I command you you shall open wide your hand to your brother to the needy and to the poor in your land let's go to James chapter 2 verses 14 through 17 the Bible says what good is it my brothers if someone says that he has faith and does not have works can that faith save him If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Go with me to um, Job chapter 29. Job chapter 29. This is an awesome, awesome text in the Old Testament. This is Job. He's explaining what he was. And what his life was about before um, all of the plagues fell upon him. Job chapter 29 and verse 12. The Bible says, Because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help, the blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind, feet to the lame. This is good stuff, y'all. I was father to the needy and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. Job says, look, I looked for people who were poor. I looked for people. He's not sitting here trying to justify himself, making himself look great. But he says, it wasn't just that I gave when people needed, but I was like a heat-seeking missile to be God's hand to people who did not have what they needed. Remember when I, my friend here in, in um, Rocky Mountain, this is, I think this was last year, uh, didn't have any food, had to move in. There's just a lot of crazy things happening. And on a Sunday morning, I said, I've got, know a guy here in town doesn't have any food. If you guys have anything, um, just drop it by. I tell you what, my Toyota Camry, that later that evening when I dropped that food off, I mean, it was a shagging wagon. I mean, we were going through town. I was, I was not even rapping out. I mean, it was just like bumping and grinding. I mean, I was so, it was just like, bro, I, I told the church about the need and they came through. I mean, it did, you know, and then bringing all those cans of food. That's the hand of Christ, knowing when people need something and taking it to them. I want you to read to you. By the way, if you're looking for something good to read, I don't normally read sections um, like this on Sunday morning, but this is a book called 100 Prison Meditations, Cries of Truth from Behind the Iron Curtain. It's from Richard Wormbrand, who suffered for years in a communist prison in Romania. Let me give you a few thoughts that he has on poverty. 
And he speaks about a Hebrew book with a certain rabbi who was once petitioned by a shoemaker way back in the day who had no wood to heat the room in which his wife and newborn infant would lay. The rabbi immediately awakened a, healthy, a wealthy neighbor. The rich man invited the rabbi to come in. But the rabbi said he preferred to speak outside the door. It was bitter cold and the rich man had to stand shivering on the street and talk with the rabbi for a long time. At last, the rabbi mentioned the shoemaker's plight and said, Now that you have felt the cold yourself, you will know what to do. The rich man brought wood to the shoemaker's family, dragging it there himself with a wheelbarrow. Whoever has not, check this out, whoever has not felt the noose about his own neck cannot know the situation of someone who is in deadly danger. Listen to his application. He says, no welfare state or philanthropic millionaire can replace the charitable works done long ago by monks and nuns who had taken vows of poverty. These people, some of them former members of the upper class. These people gathered the poor into the first hospitals, homes for aged people, and orphanages. They descended in reality and loved their neighbors as themselves. Embracing poverty for themselves, they could appreciate its value for others. The aged, the crippled, the poor were helped not only with bread, but also with being brought to regard it as a privilege. What they had previously seen as a handicap. Then he says something about us. In the United States and other countries, there are now so many poverty programs that do not work. Hello? I'll give you some stats here in a few minutes, and it is sickening. St. Francis of Assisi's program worked. Here's why. He became poor and influenced many rich men to give away their money. If you're a liberal, listen. If you're a progressive, listen. St. Francis of Assisi's program worked. He became poor and influenced many. Influenced. Not coerced. Through punitive taxation, but influenced many rich men to give away their money, not in heavily born taxation, this is so good, but in jubilating love. Amen. That's the power of the gospel. That is, if you are here this morning, you're like, and, and you say, Jeff, I, 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 I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to help poor people. You have an awesome opportunity to do exactly that. Now, here's the fallacy. Here's where we're going to start. I may need to put on the helmet, all right? There is a fallacy in the United States, and it's this. It's a false belief, and it's simply not true. And because I love you, I don't want you to be guilted into something that's not necessarily biblical. All right. There's a fallacy in the U.S. that says the way, the only way you care for the poor is through the federal government. Not true. Now, can the government do some things? Could the government be uh, more efficient? Could there be some things put into place? And some of you guys are like, well, yeah, but you know, you might as well just go and try to raise the dead. I don't know. But, but here's the thing. Now, we're not saying the government can't do anything good, but I want you to think how you approach the poor. You need to understand that it's a fallacy to have tunnel vision and to say the only way that you bail out and you help people who are poor is through top-down punitive taxation from other people. All right? 
Okay? The federal government is not the only vehicle to help them out with. So let's go in your notes to there are two classes of poor people. This, I think, is the most important thing for Christians to understand. Number one, there is a class of poor people that would be called poor by circumstances. Alright? Poor by circumstances. This would be an example of the majority of Jesus' hearers. Uh, people in the third world, Christians, who suffer from an incredibly oppressive taxation. Places like Brazil, to where the income taxes starts off around 60%. Some of y'all think it's bad. It's an economics conference back in 2009, and there was a, a banker... Um, And he was there, uh, and he was giving this lecture uh, about (laughs) Europe and Austria. Do you know how much the total taxes are just across the top, counting your fuel taxes, gas? I mean, you know, everything across the board. 75%. Y'all glad to be here? There are Christians that are even outside of the West. Because if you live in Austria, if you live in Germany, there's, there's a chance you can get a good job and be able to support yourself. But let's put it somewhere like Brazil. Or a oppressive Islamic regime or a communist country to where you cannot have anything unless you go into the black market, a life of crime, which Christians will not do. There are Christians who are poor in the third world because of religious discrimination. If you read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it speaks about these heroes of the faith way back in the day. They didn't. They just walked around in rags. They had caves to live in. And there are people today, like I think about the awesome man that we talked about who's um, from Romania. And he was there leading Christians up into this mountain retreat during communism. And now today that they have freedom in that country, this is so awesome. His grandson was the one who served as the guide to bring us up on top of the mountain. When I met this guy who was 75 years old, who had suffered persecution, who had been disowned by his family because he was a follower of Christ, he hiked up the mountain himself. I wanted to give every bit of money I had to him. I, I was like, bro, you, I, I didn't want to be awkward. I was like, you're a hero. You have suffered poverty. You have suffered persecution because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. He didn't want money. He was just so glad to be saved and to be there and pouring into the youth of his own country. Remember when I was in Kazakhstan, there was a, a mother and a daughter. The mother had a, a young teenage daughter who was Down syndrome. And we were out visiting in, in this, this village area. They had those old 70, uh, 70s Khrushchev communist style buildings. It was just like a rat hole, just a brick uh, or, or a concrete box. We went inside. It was incredible, unspeakable poverty. A situation like that, they are poor by circumstance, y'all. Even if they get something, somebody's going to come and they're going to take it away. Think about another old lady that I met in Kazakhstan. She was She could barely see. No one would take care of her. Her living conditions, it stunk so horribly, but she could barely see to be able to get around. And she was there. She worked her own potato garden with her own hands. She had a grip like a high school football player. Nothing that she could do could extradite her from that situation. They are poor by circumstance. And when the Bible speaks to us about giving sacrificially. Now, by the way, we are always to provide for people's basic needs. Amen? If a man shows up here drunk, we are to make sure that the man has food and clothes. Y'all okay with that? That's it. 
Whether you come clean, whether you come dirty, we will give you the basic necessities of life. Because Jesus says, inasmuch as you've done it in the least of these, even a cold cup of water in my name, you've done it unto, the, unto me. But here's something also, alright, that we must understand. There are people that are poor by circumstance. Let's talk about first world. There are some children today in America, and it seems to be more and more, and they are born into poverty. It's not their fault. And I think one of the greatest things that you could do as a Bible-believing Christian, if you're a member of Rocky Mount Baptist Church, is you need to be God's messenger asking and praying and looking for Poor families in Rocky Mount, in Franklin County, who may not be able to provide things like a Christmas for their kids. And it very well could be that through your generosity, through your love to them, not embarrassing the parents because of their poverty, but ministering to their children through it, it very well could be that God could use you to bring that family to Christ. But here's the other side of the coin. Not everybody's poor by circumstances. Some people are poor by poor and unbiblical choices. And here's how to become unnecessarily poor. This is hard stuff, but it never gets mentioned in politics, but we don't do that here. We give truth. Number one, laziness. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. The Bible says, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want or lack like an armed man. Proverbs 20.13 Love not sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, Baptists know this, let him not eat. That, that, that's, that's what it says. Let me get, give you another one here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. So, so that, here's the reason, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. If you're lazy, you will be poor by choice. Now, let me make a distinction here. Is everyone who is poor, poor because of sin. No. And let me give another one that's going to make all of us uncomfortable. It's probably very true that most of us in here, like a very extremely high percentage, if not all, in comparison, if you have a vehicle in your family compared to the rest of the world, you are stinking dirty rich. That's what it is. Us? I'm poor unless I have all these cars. I have this size house. No, no. If you've got a vehicle... If you make more than about $2 a day, you are rich compared to the rest of the world. Also, secondly, not in, we've got laziness, but also adultery. If you want to be poor, sleep around. This is what Proverbs chapter 6, verse 26 says. For by means of an immoral woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Also, self-indulgence, a.k.a. the party lifestyle. Drinking, smoking, partying, luxuries... Um, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 19 says this, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 21, For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and the slumber will clothe them with rags. I've talked to some of my friends and people that I know about, um, like how much you normally spend going out clubbing like Friday, Saturday night. And I've gotten, I've received 
Estimates that range anywhere from $50 to $200. Now, I'm going to let you do the math. If you stayed home, ministered to your family, took somebody out to eat in a God-honoring way, and you saved that money instead of buying people drinks at a bar that you don't even need to be at, how much would you have by retirement if you started from age 25 and put 40 years on top of that? Let's say $50 a week. I did, um, just, just because um, we're here in the U.S., I did a little bit of calculation. Let's say that you spend $5 a day on alcohol and cigarettes. That's not very much. doesn't go very far. It says you're a light smoker and you're a light drinker. Per week, $35 bucks a year, um, $1,820. At the end of 40 years, you would have $72,800, not counting interest if you said, you know what, I'm not going to waste my money on stuff that's going to destroy my health and probably damage my family. I'm going to instead take that and put it, and you don't get any interest anyway, right? Like, that's a joke today. You get like minus 1.2%, okay? Like, this is not even talking interest. If you just put that aside, you would be able to be taken care of when you got to the time that you need to retire. Say, so Jeff, how do we make the decision on how to actually help? We need to understand that Christians should act in mercy and generosity with their own finances while lifting up what's called the Proverbs Principle. You say, Jeff, what is the Proverbs Principle? The Proverbs Principle, now many of you senior citizens know this, you have lived by this, and it's very deep. Y'all ready for this? You don't spend what you don't have. Right, let me just repeat that again because I know that's deep, especially for people my age because we don't understand this concept. We've got this thing called a credit card. We're boom, 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 swiping everywhere. If you don't have it, or we could say it this way, you don't spend what you don't have. If you don't have it, then you don't buy the item. And let me say it one more time for, for the younger people. If, you, if, you're, if you're older, you, you've got this. You've got this down. You're raised on this. If you're my age or around that age, if you don't have the money, then you don't go in debt to buy the item. Y'all okay? It's like awkward in here right now. Right? Because I don't know. I mean, come on. Come on. Let's just be serious. You've all seen the advertisements. You have your hobbies. I have my hobbies. And it's like, oh, if I could just have that, it would be so much fun to have this. And then we're like, well, I don't have the money, but I do have... Visa. <laughs> and we got that little number and the security code on the back and we call it in or we swipe it, you know, and the salesman's like, oh yeah, it's going to make all your wildest dreams come true. And you're like, is your name Pedro? No point in time. I don't know. And it's just like, he, it's just all good. And then, and then we've got it and we've bought this for this person and we, but then there's this thing that comes in the mail and it's called a bill. And then we look and it's like 4,000% interest and we're just barely able to make the minimum payment. By the way, if you have questions about finances, go to our website and go back to December. You can find it there on the front page. There's a series that we did called uh, Money Matters. It's biblical advice on how to get out of debt. And actually, if you follow that, you could very well... uh, And we're, we're not a health, wealth, and prosperity church, but if you follow God's principles, you will be able to support your family, support yourself when you come to the age of retirement. No matter where you are right now. We should, as Christians, understand the Proverbs principle that we don't spend money for things that we don't need. And I know that we all need, guys, we all need the brand new motorcycle. We all need the brand new Harley. Right, ladies, you always need that brand new dress that goes with this set of shoes because this set of 57 dresses over here doesn't go with these shoes 
They went with these shoes last month, but now it's a new season, right? So you need to redo the wardrobe. Have financial freedom and say, Lord, I'm only going to buy what I absolutely need. Let me give you some, some points, and we're, we're almost um, going to wrap this up and make everybody mad here in just a few moments. Christians should actively give to the circumstantially poor. And by the way, if you know a family, let's say the dad is, is, is an alcoholic, but his children are suffering, give to help out the children. Amen? Alright? Let God take care of the dad in his own time, but do something. We, we should, as a church, never let it be if we know the kid who has basic needs and we gloss over that because they have a mom or a dad who has not been the mom or dad that they should be, but that's not the child's fault. Secondly, we should reject, and this is a loaded phrase, buddy, class warfare which is based on covetousness. When it comes to your political choice, we as Christians should take step upon step back if we are appealed to, Republican, Democrat, in the middle, it doesn't matter, when it's like, well, these people make more than you and they don't need that. Well, who are you, Mr. Dictator, to tell this person who legally earned this amount of money, whether it's 50000 250000 the magic number, Or a million dollars. It's their money. I'm a Baptist pastor. I am not a millionaire. We've not yet had a show on TBN. Alright? Okay? I'm not the rich dude. But boy, we as Christians need to be very careful when we get this covetous. Well, you've got more than me and I want what you have. No, we got Christ has freed us from materialism. And by the way, if somebody, if God gives them the gift of making money and they make money the right way, more power to you and use it for the glory of God. Why would I go around as a blood-bought Christian who loves Jesus and be all mad and cantankerous every time I vote, every time I talk politics, to try to be absolutely obsessed with taking something from someone just because a leader told me they don't need it. By the way, public servants don't tell you what you need. Dictators tell you what you need. And any dictator who will tell you, you don't need that much money, I say take it back to Russia. Because that's not the way the USA works. Is that too much? Honestly, here's the thing. Once again, I'm not the rich guy. But boy, let us be set free from covetousness of being obsessed with what other people have earned through their labor. We should extol diligence and hard work. And here's where it's, it's, I don't know, just go ahead and say it. Liberals, by the way, I'm in my notes a lot today because I want to be very clear. I don't want to be misquoted. I don't want to confuse you. Liberals, progressives, whatever you want to call them, conservatives, right-wingers, bitter gun-clingers, whatever you want to call them, both want to, and I believe this, there may be some exceptions. We're just giving the benefit of the doubt. They want to eradicate poverty, but they simply disagree on the proper method. Right? Progressive says, no, we should do it from the federal government, more more taxation on those that make more, that give to the ones who don't, and that way they'll be lifted up. Uh, more conservative uh, person would say, no, we, we need to help the people who on the bottom be able to work up themselves. Here's what I believe God's Word teaches. God's Word teaches that <clears throat> hard work 
is the way that you bring yourself out of poverty into being able to take care of yourself. Following biblical principles such as tithing, such as saving a small amount, such as avoiding things that you don't need. I mean, just the basic stuff, alcohol, cigarettes. I know in Franklin County, uh, some of you, you know, you, you need the, the chewing tobacco to survive. It's not true. You can do it, right? Like all of those things. Often, and here's the thing too, if you're, y'all okay, was that too far? All right. Some some people, um, when, when you're trying to get out of finances, you've got the full cable package. Cut it off. What do you need to survive? And what you will often find when you cut and you cut and you cut in your personal finances that God will provide in ways that you never expected. Say, Jeff, how should Christians apply this? Number one, let me give you a very uh, couple of statistics. In 1960. In the 1960s, there was a low um, when Lyndon Johnson declared the war on poverty. Uh, the poverty level is 11.1%. 2004, it was 12.7%. The Heritage Institute, they calculated that total <clears throat> from the war on poverty to 2008. And by the way, the last four years has been a lot more than, than in previous years. There have been $15.9 trillion spent to combat poverty. In 2008, $714 billion in welfare or aid to the poor. And it's been over 40 years of this, and guess what the poverty statistics have done? They've gone up a little bit, but they've stayed basically the same. So here is what we know. We know the way it has been done has not worked. Right? That, that's a fact. That's not a Republican thing. That's not a Democrat thing. So what are we as Christians to do? Let me give you a statement by, by Michael Tanner, who wrote an article called More Welfare, More Poverty. He says, Observers have known for a long time that the surest ways to stay out of poverty are to finish school, not to get pregnant outside marriage, to get a job, any job, and stick with it. That means that if we wish to fight poverty, we must end those government policies, high taxes and regulatory excess that inhibit growth and job creation. More importantly, the real work of fighting poverty must not come from the government, but from the engines of civil society. An enormous amount of evidence and experience shows that private charities are far more effective than the government welfare programs, while welfare programs provides incentives for counterproductive behavior. Baby daddies, welfare children, woman having more children so she'll get more from the government. That is supporting sinful behavior. And if you're a Christian here today, you should not be guilty about that bothering you. Private charities use their aid and encourage self-sufficiency, self-improvement, and independence. Private charities can individualize their approaches and target the specific problems that are holding people in poverty. The problem when you do a top-down approach is that Washington's a long way from L.A. Washington's a long way from Ocala. It's a long way from here. And when you allow local people to address the situations in their communities, they're going to be able to give to those who actually need it and avoid the excess. So the way that we should approach it, finally, as Christians, we should look for ways to help out the poor. We should look for children who are raised in situations that are not their fault. But when we come to policy decisions, we ask the question, does this enforce, does this support an unbiblical morality? The current welfare system does because it doesn't require people to do to do anything in order to get something. And by the way, if we want to help people, we've got to teach them how to do something. 
We teach them the value of hard work. We teach them, even if it's going to a class, they're able to come home, the man knows that he's done something today and not simply get a handout. And in doing that, their character will be increased and they'll be able to become a productive member of society. But ultimately, the issue is this. Whether, whatever you vote for, whatever your political party, the issue when we think of poverty should be this. Am I poor in spirit? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. And when Jesus came, Jesus gave His life. He gave up everything so that He would become poor for us. So regardless of where you come down on your decisions, the question this morning is, have you given your life to Jesus Christ?